Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop talks about two recently celebrated feast days. First, the inaugural celebration of the Sunday of the Word of God, then the Feast of the Presentation, or Candlemas Day. Afterwards, Bishop answers questions submitted by listeners. Topics include the recent Synod on the Amazon and whether or not there were statues of pagan idols there. Here, Bishop offer clarification. If you have a question, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. Thank you again for joining us for this. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Kyle. It's always nice to hear from our bishop. And one of the things I thought we could talk about is this idea of the Sunday of the Word of God, which is something that Pope Francis announced would now be celebrated the third Sunday of ordinary time. And so we just recently celebrated this on January 26th which was a Sunday, and you were actually celebrating that at St. Vincent de Paul Parish in Fort Wayne. Yes, it was a beautiful liturgy. You know, I I really enjoyed it. And uh, I gave a special blessing to all the lectors of the parish, which was appropriate for the Sunday of the Word of God. And also, I had bought those pocket gospels and psalms uh, for the people, which... um, I don't think I bought enough because I only had 500 and there were 
probably a thousand or more people at the okay. mass. But I, so we said one per family. Uh-huh. But uh, four years ago, I had given them out to all the students in our diocesan high schools, huh. and it's really neat. They loved it because I would run into, uh, I still do, alumni of our Catholic high schools, and they'll they'll mention it or uh-huh. they'll pull it out of their pocket. Wow. But of course, one of the things that the Holy Father talked about when he instituted this Sunday of the Word of God was that we should celebrate and reflect on the Word of God in a special way on that Sunday. But also, he recommended that we disseminate the Word of God. And that's why I Hmm. I brought the pocket Gospels and Psalms as a gift for the people. But it really is a wonderful initiative of Pope Francis to enable the church, uh, he says, to experience anew how the risen Lord opens up for us the treasury of his word and also enables us to proclaim its unfathomable riches before the world. Mm-hmm. So really what our Holy Father hope, hopes is that this Sunday will increase our gratitude for the great gift of the scriptures and help us to strive daily to live and bear witness to the teachings of sacred scripture. So I think it was really nice. I, I uh, imagine that in all our parishes, this was the focus. And um, so I look forward to celebrating the future. Of course, we call it the Sunday of the Word of God, but every day we should be, you know, sure. taught by the Lord through His Word. And and um, daily reading of the Scriptures is, is a beautiful part of the spiritual life. Lexio Divina, meditation, prayerful reflection, on the scriptures, as well as, you know, being attentive to the scriptures when they're proclaimed at mass. It's really vital for our Christian lives to be formed as disciples of Jesus by his word. So it's good to think about, you know, and I say this to the listeners, you know, how often do you read the Bible? Hmm. You know, we shouldn't let our Bible sit on our bookshelves or our bedstands collecting dust. You know, I, I joked with the people at St. Vincent's. I said, when I visit homes, I'll sometimes notice the Bible placed in a prominent place. And I said, that's beautiful. Uh-huh. Unless there's dust on it, then right. it looks like they're not using it. <laughs> but also, a lot of our parishes or most parishes have Bible study classes. And that's a great way to be formed mm-hmm. by God's word. Because Good Bible classes help us to better understand the scriptures, mm-hmm. you know, and I've enjoyed here on Redeemer Radio on our show too. at times we, we do some Bible study. Yeah, uh, sure. we did on the prophets late last year. But I also recommend, you know, for everybody just to read a, a passage from the scriptures every day and meditate on it because it's a beautiful way to grow in the spiritual life. There's a beautiful quote from St. Augustine. He said, when you read the Bible, God speaks to you. When you pray, you speak to God. Hmm. Of course, our personal reading of Scripture, it's really important. But by personal, we don't mean individualistic because we always read and experience sacred Scripture in communion with the church. That we approach the Scriptures in relation to the church's living tradition Mm -hmm. because the Holy Spirit who inspired the sacred authors of the Bible also guides the church, especially through the magisterium, the teaching authority of the Pope and bishops in the authentic interpretation of the scriptures. Pope Benedict said once the Bible is the church's book and Mm -hmm. that's true. You can't separate them. 
you know, and St. Augustine also said, I would not believe the gospel had not the authority of the Catholic Church hmm. led me to do so. When we think of saints in scripture, probably the one we think of the most is St. Jerome, who, you know, translated the, uh, the Bible into Latin. We all know his famous phrase, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. Mm -hmm. But St. Jerome also insisted that an authentic interpretation of the Bible must always be in harmony with the faith of the Catholic Church. And that's one of the things I think we can see whenever we look at all the different denominations of churches that claim to be following the Bible, that, but they have very different beliefs because they don't have that authority of the church to, to know how to interpret some of these things that, that might be a little ambiguous. Right, right. So, we're very blessed. And of course, this is, we believe, Christ's will, that he instituted the church on the foundation of Peter and the apostles and sent the Holy Spirit to guide them and their successors mm -hmm. in proclaiming his word. And that includes the authentic interpretation mm -hmm. of his word. So, it really was a, a beautiful Sunday to celebrate the Word of God, and I'm looking forward to celebrating it every year. Again, it's the third Sunday in ordinary time, but again, every day we have the opportunity to read and pray with the Word of God. Yeah. I often think of the Blessed Mother, I mean, how she pondered all those things in her heart, hmm. the events of her son's birth, etc. So she welcomed God's Word into her I mean, the Word of God with a capital W, Jesus, is the incarnate Word of God. And uh, she really is our model for welcoming God's Word into our minds and hearts. Sure. When Pope Francis made the announcement that the third Sunday of Ordinary Time would be Sunday of the Word of God, he did that through an apostolic letter. Is that typically how you would, how a pope would declare a day as, as something special yeah and it's kind of it, it's it's a a special letter called an apostolic letter and um they have a latin titles so uh -huh. so this uh letter of pope francis was entitled aperuit ilis okay. aperuit ilis and usually these letters it, it the title comes from the first words of the letter so the very first words of that apostolic letter were a quote from St. Luke's Gospel, the story of, of the Jesus and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So, he begins the apostolic letter with this quote, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Hmm. So, that's what aperuit ilis means, opened their minds. Hmm. So, that was a great way to begin the letter because really, Jesus, when he was walking with these disciples who were so distraught over the crucifixion, opened their minds to the understanding of the scriptures, that the, that the Messiah would have to suffer and would rise from the dead. So, that is a beautiful thing to think about the, uh, how Jesus opened their minds to the scriptures. But then, of course, the scriptures are always linked to the Holy Eucharist because it was at the end of that walk that's, that they stopped and, um, and they had a meal and Jesus broke the bread and they recognized him in the mm -hmm. breaking of the bread. So anyhow, it's a, I recommend people to read this apostolic letter because it really is 
a really beautiful reflection on the Word of God. And, um, you know, another really excellent resource is the apostolic exhortation of Pope Benedict XVI called Verbum Domini, okay. which means the word of the Lord. If you remember some years ago, there was a World Synod of Bishops. It was in 2008. And the theme of that, and that was when Pope Benedict was Pope, uh, was was the word of God and the life and mission of the church. Hmm. So as a, after that synod, Pope Benedict issued this apostolic exhortation, Verbum Domini. And it's really also uh, a wonderful uh, thing to read. I really recommend both this apostolic exhortation, Verbum Domini of Pope Benedict, and the apostolic letter of Pope Francis, Aperuit Elis. And one of the things that has, there's a connection between the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. And you mentioned a little bit about the authority of the church in interpreting this. But one of the things Pope Francis talks about is avoiding a fundamentalist reading of scripture. Can you explain what he means by that? Yes. Um, that is a an interpretation of sacred scripture that is problematic because it refuses to recognize the historical character of biblical revelation. Mm. It treats the biblical text like it was dictated word for word uh-huh. by the Holy Spirit. When actually the word of God was formulated in language and expression that was conditioned by the times. So the church's manner of interpretation is, and it's really been from the beginning, from the early church, um, is, is different. It recognizes the historical value of the biblical tradition. We recognize that there was a human mediation of the inspired text mm-hmm. and that there are different literary genres mm-hmm. in the scriptures. Sure. So we don't read it as a science book, mm-hmm. you know, as fundamentalists might do. Right. And when they do that, then they find that they're in a real big problem because then they see a conflict between faith and, and science or faith and reason. So we have to avoid that fundamentalist approach. At the same time, this might seem contradictory. He also mentioned that the scriptures have an ecumenical value. Definitely. And I think that's really important because one of the things we share with our separated brothers and sisters is, uh, is the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And in the scriptures themselves, we, we read in John's gospel, the prayer of Jesus to the father that his disciples might be one so that the world may believe there are some parishes where they have scripture study bible study Mm -hmm. and they invite protestants for example to to participate in it now it can become problematic if you have for example fundamentalists there but actually sacred scripture is a great way to bring us closer to one another as christians and so you can have ecumenical studies of the word of God and discussions, even celebrations. Like Mm -hmm. you can have a prayer service with the word of God Mm -hmm. uh, between Catholics and other Christians. And they really do advance the cause of ecumenism. Yeah, I think there is an ecumenical importance when we talk about uh, the scriptures. Well, and maybe with Lent coming up, that's a good time for us to 
refocus on that and maybe come up with something that we're going to do for Lent as, as diving into the scriptures daily, you know, or, or participating in a Bible study or getting one going at our parish or in our homes or something like that. Yeah. So. You know, another thing is, you know, a lot of people have a Lenten resolution to attend mass every day, which is uh-huh. really great Lenten resolution. Sure. And then the readings every day during yeah. Lent are, are very good for meditation. But even if people aren't attending daily mass during Lent, they can always read the daily readings mm-hmm. throughout the 40 days of Lent. Yeah. And that's a good resolution. And to reflect on them, you know, you can get the Magnificat, that you know, little publication that has all the uh, daily readings, or, you know, you could just get on the USCCB website every mm-hmm. day. They have the readings. And then there's that wonderful app, uh, Hallow, which mm-hmm. I think I've talked about, a prayer app, yeah. uh, which actually guides you through Lexio Divina, a prayerful meditation on the scriptures. That's uh, something that, even though I'm not a salesman, but I do <laughs> promote that app because so many people, especially young people, young adults, have really been helped in their life of prayer through that and, and, and also learn how to meditate on the scriptures. Yeah. All right. Well, coming up, we're going to talk about the Feast of the Presentation and take some questions from listeners right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And on February 2nd, we celebrated the Feast of the Presentation. And since we just discussed scripture, I thought maybe it would be appropriate that we take a look at that scripture and remind us what the what we were celebrating on that feast. So what is the Feast of the Presentation? Okay, it's the, uh, the celebration of the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem, which occurred 40 days after his birth. So February 2nd is 40 days after December 25th. Okay. So we celebrate our Lord's presentation when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to God's house, to the temple. And that was according to the Jewish law, which required that parents present their firstborn son in the temple. We also call it Candlemas Day uh, because that's the day when we have the blessing of candles. I celebrated the Mass of the Presentation at the Cathedral of Immaculate Conception, and and it was beautiful. We had uh, the blessing of the candles, which occurs at the beginning of the Mass. But anyhow, um, one of the things that the parents were required to do when they brought their firstborn to the temple was they had to offer a sacrifice, and they could offer a lamb. Mm-hmm. And that was preferred, but if they weren't able to or didn't have the money to offer a lamb, they could sa- offer a sacrifice of two young turtle doves. Uh-huh. The second I, day of Christmas, I think, is, is when <laughs> yeah, That's right. Uh, which I think are like pigeons, if I'm okay. not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. But So the fact that um, that's what Mary and Joseph presented shows that they weren't wealthy, you know, um, that they were rather poor because they couldn't afford a lamb for the sacrifice. But but there's something more beautiful that I think of is they really did bring a lamb, right? their son, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who would, you know, redeem humanity by his sacrifice on the cross. And when you read the story of the presentation, it's in the second chapter of Luke's gospel, 
we have two figures who are presented, both devoted Jews, Simeon mm-hmm. uh, and Anna. And um, Simeon, uh, the scripture tells us, was waiting his entire life to see the child Jesus. It says in, the, in Luke's gospel, this man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him awaiting the consolation of Israel. You know, every faithful Jew was yearning for the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy about God consoling his people Hmm. and bringing an end to their sufferings. If you remember when we talked about on this program, we talked about that uh, part, that second part of the book of the prophet Isaiah. It's called the book of consolation. Right. Because it announces God's mercy and God's forgiveness, promising that he will console his people in their sufferings and bring an end to their punishments and forgive their sins. Mm -hmm. So that's why at the presentation it says, Simeon was waiting for this. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So in a sense, I think Simeon represents all the Jewish people who were longing for God to console them. He took the child in his arms and um, he praised God in a hymn or a canticle that we pray every night at night prayer in the liturgy of the hours. It's called the Nunc Dimittis, which means now you allow, which is, if you read it, Simeon prayed, now, master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. If you pray the liturgy of the hours, we pray night prayer and priests are obliged to pray it, but it's, uh, we, we pray that every night, this prayer of Simeon. And that's also because of what, what, uh, Simeon says in that, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, that is why we bless candles on the Feast of the Presentation. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that Jesus is our light. That's why we call the Feast of the Presentation Candlemas Day. You don't hear that so much today, but that was pretty common, Uh where February 2nd was called Candlemas Day. So we're celebrating that Jesus is the light of the world, the light of the nations, the light that dispels the darkness of the world. And that's why at mass, we always light candles. Mm -hmm. They symbolize Christ as our light. You know, there's an element of sorrow also in this uh, mystery of the presentation. The reason for that is kind of the shadow of the cross Mm -hmm. looms in the background because the darkness will reject the light of Christ. Hmm. And that's why Simeon turned to Mary at the presentation. And he prophesied, Simeon prophesied that the child was destined for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be contradicted. So it's kind of a prophecy that Jesus will be rejected. And then he prophesied that Mary, Mary's heart, her soul would be pierced with a sword. Mm -hmm. So the path ahead would be difficult 
for Jesus and Mary. As we know, Jesus was rejected and opposed by many. His ministry culminated in his bloody death on the cross. And also Mary's heart was pierced with sorrow. She was there at the foot of the cross. She suffered as she watched her son die on the cross. The Feast of the Presentation has that, it's a joyful mystery of the rosary. So it has that element of joy, right? but it does kind of have that element of sorrow, mm-hmm. which it's, it's important to remember. The concept of taking your firstborn son to the temple and presenting him there, has that been replaced by baptism? Well, you know, it's an interesting parallel because we can say that um, parents, when they bring their children to church to be baptized, they're also presenting them to the Lord. But it's much more because there are Christian communities which have a kind of presentation. But what happens at baptism is there's actually grace that is conferred. A child is presented to the Lord. That's that's very true. Mm-hmm. Every when the parents bring their child, they're presenting their their child to the Lord. But the 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 greatest reality is that the Lord is receiving their children, and the Lord is blessing their children with the new life mm-hmm. of grace that Christ won for us. So. I think there's a certain uh, parallel, but but something much more. All right. Okay. Well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, where you can also find past episodes of this show. And you can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have questions about the Pachimama and channeling Mother Earth on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, here with our bishop, and we have questions that have been submitted by listeners. Our first question states, on the December 11th episode, you talked about the Old Testament prophet Daniel. Could you explain the quote, writing on the wall, and the words, I'm going to mess up this pronunciation, but Mene, Tekel, and Perez, what does it mean? You know, that was good pronunciation. I don't really know because it's Aramaic, and I don't know Aramaic, (laughs) but I would have said pronounced it the same way. Um, Well, that's good, getting back to the book of Daniel. You know, when I did that segment on the prophet Daniel, you know, I wasn't and even on the other prophets, I wasn't able to get into all the sure. the content. But, you know, that is an important chapter of the book of Daniel, chapter 5. So, I'm actually glad that someone called in and asked about it. Uh-huh. Um, so, let me just um, explain to the listeners. I, I won't read the whole, well, I won't read the passage because it would be long, but I'll just summarize it. The passage talks about um, King Belshazzar. Mm-hmm who was the son of King Nabonidus. Okay. Now, Kyle, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, <laughs> but anyhow, Belshazzar uh, ruled Babylon as what can be called a co-regent with his father. So, 
you know, in the book of Daniel, we read that he's a king, but really his father was the king, but he kind of ruled with his father. So okay. I guess that's why the book of Daniel calls him a king. And this is after the exile. We remember our Bible history from the lessons back in November and December. So we're talking like mid sixth century BC. So the people of Jerusalem and uh, they were already exiled in Babylon. So this was the ruler along with his father. And you read in chapter five, this Belshazzar had this great feast for his entire court. As a matter of fact, you see there's some paintings that you can see in, uh, where they have paintings of this feast, some famous paintings. But anyhow, what they did at this feast, and we read about, is that they used the vessels, the sacred vessels that they had stolen, taken from the Jerusalem temple hmm. at this feast. If you remember, it was King Nebuchadnezzar who um, conquered Jerusalem uh-huh. and uh, sent the people into exile. Well, he also destroyed the temple, but he took the riches. He took the, the sacred vessels, for example, and confiscated them and brought them back to Babylon. So this Belshazzar had this banquet and they were eating and drinking from these sacred vessels and they were praising their own gods, you know, so that was really considered, you know, this was a profanation. While they were doing this during the feast, a man's hand appeared, just a hand, okay, and wrote four words on the on the wall. Mene, mene. Actually, it's one word was used twice. Mene, okay. mene, tekel, and parson. Well, Belshazzar was frightened. I mean, wouldn't you be frightened if you saw a hand? <laughs> Uh, writing on a wall. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like the Adams family. Exactly. So the queen entered, which is really the queen mother, his his father's wife, and she recommended that he call for Daniel because Belshazzar had, had already called his own astrologers, the wise men of Babylon, and uh-huh. they had no idea what this was, what the words meant or anything. So the queen mother knew that Daniel had interpreted dreams before, remember, we we uh, had that in our previous episode, one of our previous episodes, uh, Daniel, the interpreter of dreams, mm-hmm. and also visions. So this was a vision. Daniel, well, he arrived, and Belshazzar offered him gifts if he'd interpret the vision and, and said he'd make him number three in his kingdom and all this stuff. Well, Daniel refused to accept any gifts, um, but... He then began to interpret, and he rebuked Belshazzar for his pride and his vanity (laughs) and his offenses against God. And he interpreted the writing on the wall, mene mene, which is about money, and so is tekel. Tekel is like a, uh, these are Aramaic, um, which doesn't have vowels, by the way. Tekel would be like a shekel, and it also has a verb meaning to weigh. Okay. And parsing is really uh, to divide, but it also sounds like Persia. So there's kind of like a play on words going on here. Okay. So this is Daniel's interpretation. Mene, mene. God has numbered your days. Because mene has to do with numbering money. Uh-huh. Um, and... God has numbered your days. Okay, that's a message to Belshazzar. Uh Then tekel has to do with weighing. God has weighed you in the balance. 
God has weighed you in the balance. And farsin, which has to do with dividing. God has divided your kingdom and given it to Persia. So this was a very bleak interpretation, obviously. Um, but Belshazzar was glad to know what it what this vision meant so he he still gave daniel those gifts even though he didn't want them he clothed him with purple and he put a chain of gold around his neck he made him the third ruler in the kingdom and that night belshazzar was slain hmm. and darius the mede became king these two kingdoms, Medes, Medes and Persians, the Medes and Persians captured Babylon, basically. So that's that's the story. And um, obviously, the the meaning for us today is it's really a message against against idolatry, against pride, and uh, arrogance of these kings, and the importance of humility, etc. Okay. Now I'm gonna have to go back and reread that, and then re-listen to the <laughs> the whole podcast that we did on that. Yeah. All right, Daniel Louderback from St. Joseph's in Mishawaka asks, "Can you please explain two recent events which took place at the Vatican? The first is the introduction to us of the Pachimama or Mother Earth during the Synod of the Amazon, and the idolatry performed to it in several ceremonies, including the final Mass." The second was during the Vatican Christmas concert at which an indigenous woman taught the audience, which included priests and several Vatican officials, how to channel, quote, Mother Earth. Are these not disgraceful acts toward the true Blessed Mother? You know, there's been a lot, uh, there's been a lot of controversy mm -hmm. over uh, what happened during the Synod on the Amazon, especially at the beginning when they had that ceremony in the Vatican gardens, you know, it has to do, well, one of the things were the statuettes, these little statues, which um, some said, well, they're idols, they're pagan idols. Basically, these little statues were of naked pregnant women who were kneeling in what looked like uh, some kind of contemplation. But the Vatican did explain that these were effigies of maternity and the sacredness of life that they weren't idols and, and this is what was called the pachimama these well images? that's another question okay the, the pachimama is is somewhere along the line there was an accusation that these were statues of the pachamama okay the pachamama is a goddess that was revered by the people, the indigenous people mm -hmm. of the Andes, you know, Peru, you know, the mountains, Andes. Uh, it was like a fertility goddess, from mm -hmm. what I know, from what I've read. So it's from the Andean, the Andes culture. Okay. So the Amazon isn't the Andes. Uh -huh. They had, they did not have this uh, revering of the Pachamama in the in the Amazon. Okay. So. You know, some have said, well, that was incorrect to assume that that the indigenous people of the Amazon re region who were there in Rome at the Synod were worshiping the Pachamama because mm -hmm. there's no evidence that they even 
knew about this goddess of the Andes. Okay. So I think that's huh. that's really careful. And I you know, I think it's important um to understand that even though this whole thing was was rather confusing, there's no evidence that this was some kind of a goddess represented in that those little statues. I think that's kind of like a primary thing okay. uh, to to keep in mind. Because what was happening when they were doing this ceremony in the Vatican Gardens, the participants like prostrated, they took, you know, they bowed down, but they there was a denial that because these were Catholics, by the way, I think. These were indigenous Catholics. Mm -hmm. That they weren't bowing down to the statues. They had other articles there. They were all like representing their culture. So they had like little canoes and they had these little statues. I forget what else, but they had other like things that were there on the blanket or whatever. Okay. And then they had their hands up like we, you know, the, the Oran's position where you extend your hands in prayer and they looked up, looked up to the sky, looked up to heaven, which is a common Christian uh, posture that they were not worshiping those those articles that it wasn't pagan mm -hmm. they were praying to god uh i guess there's a question like these different images and artifacts that they had from the amazon they seem to have oh there were some musical instruments there too and these miniature canoes to say that they're idols you know i i don't know i think that's a judgment that is not right i think we should um you know so so I, I, would you, I, would you I, say the images themselves are neutral and it would depend on the the person on how they treat them, whether right. they're making an idol out of it or if they're just recognized as a piece of culture that they're presenting to God as a, you know, this is a part of who we are and our history. Yeah. And we can't judge how the person was treating the items, but in and of themselves, they're not problematic. Right, right. Okay. I think one of the things that became confusing, you know, later, you know, these artifacts were, were uh, displayed in a church on the Via della Conciliazione near the Vatican, mm -hmm. Santa Maria and Traspontina. Then we had, remember, they were stolen and thrown into the Tiber and right. all this. And the Vatican said these were not representations of this pagan goddess. They were not the pa Pachamama. They weren't idols. But then... After this, the Pope did use the word Pachamamas, oh. referring to the images. So that really, you know, was problematic. But the Vatican explained later that he only identified the statues by those that word Pachamama because that's how the world was. That's what was being reported right. in the Italian media okay. and and then beyond Italy. You know, it was unfortunate that the Pope used those words, but the Vatican did explain that he didn't mean to say that they were representations of this pagan goddess. Okay. He was just using it because that's what everybody else was calling them. Uh -huh. um, so it, the whole thing kind of got, you know, became so controversial. So I hope that helps uh, the one who, who called in. I think there's the other issue about um, Mother Earth. We don't worship, obviously, uh, created things like the earth. Just using that term, Mother Earth, is not a problem. I mean, uh, St. Francis of Assisi in the Canticle of the Creatures spoke of our sister Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. You know, it's our common home. And if you read Laudato Si, the famous encyclical of Pope Francis on the earth as our common home, mm -hmm. 
even its name, Laudato Si, comes from St. Francis. Be praised, my Lord, with all your creatures. But the Pope makes clear, as he talks about the importance of respecting the environment and taking care of the earth, he doesn't make all living beings equal. As a matter of fact, he says in Laudato Si, the following, and I'll quote what he said, because I think this is relevant to the whole Pachamama thing. Okay. He says, this doesn't mean, when he's talking about the respect for creation, mm -hmm. he says, this doesn't mean making all living beings equal and taking away from the human being that peculiar value that implies at the same time a tremendous responsibility. Neither does it imply a divinization of the earth, hmm. which would deprive us of the call to collaborate with it and to protect its fragility. So basically, Pope Francis is saying we don't divinize the earth. Right. We don't worship the earth. We only worship God but we respect the earth as God's creation. So I think we have to be really careful. I think, you know, there are some who kind of, you know, when they speak of mother earth, do divinize it. And mm -hmm. that's wrong. I and mean, we see it in some of the new age stuff, mm -hmm. you know, where there's a, there can be like a pantheism where they kind of say that all of the cosmos and all the reality, et cetera, is God, you know? But that's not the teaching of the church, and it's not the teaching of Pope Francis. We don't worship Mother Earth. There was a bishop, I think he's a retired bishop from the Amazon. I, uh, during the synod, when there was all this controversy going on, he shared that, that when he first became a bishop in the Amazon, he was uncomfortable because they would talk about Mother Earth, and he thought, well, I don't... You know, I have my mother, and the Virgin Mary's my mother. The church is our mother. And then he'd see some of these indigenous peoples prostrate themselves and kiss the earth. So he was bothered by that. He thought, are they worshiping the earth? Uh -huh. But the longer that he was there and he was living with the Indians, he came to understand that they weren't adoring Mother Earth as a goddess. They saw the earth. They valued the earth as a true mother. Because it's from the earth that we get food to eat. It's from the earth that we, you know, et cetera. But, but that God, uh, and, and that we need things from the earth. We need the air. We need water and everything to live. But he said the Indians, the indigenous people there, were not adoring the earth as a goddess. The Christians were thanking God for the earth. And they were expressing their respect for the earth. So I think that's interesting to kind of understand this bishop who also, you know, kind of at the beginning was really, really, you know, wondering what's going on here. As he came to know his people and talk to them, he learned how they approach the earth. And um, but again, I would say, you know, we have to be careful. We don't worship nature. All nature is God's work. Hmm. It's respected, but we we don't adore or worship it. We cannot be idolaters. But at the same time, to I, I think this is maybe a, a lesson to when encountering a different culture, 
to not jump to assumptions right. and to be super critical at, at first, yeah. but to try to learn as much. And I think maybe this is problematic too. Whenever we go to a foreign country to do mission work, we think this is what they need. This is how I can fix the problem here instead of really being humble and saying, what can I learn from you? And then eventually kind of see, okay, these are the needs and maybe this is where they're, they're missing on some truth. Um, but, exactly. but, uh, exactly. I feel like people just really jumped on to certain things maybe before fully understanding all of the details. Right. And it really, it's unfair to, you know, to Pope Francis. And I was kind of confused at the beginning when I saw, I had to kind of read about it and see what the, you know, sure. what they were saying, what the Vatican, how the Vatican was explained, it, et cetera. And then it, you know, made a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. We have to always avoid any kind of idolatry. But I think it's kind of far-fetched to, to say that the Pope was involved in idolatry. I right. mean, he was very clear in Laudato Si' that the earth should not be divinized. And, uh, you know, and I believe him. All right. Well, thank you again, Bishop, for taking some time out of your schedule for us. Just a reminder that people can text us on the Holy Cross College text line with any questions, 260-436-9598. And before we go, Bishop, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. On our next episode, Bishop will have two special guests in the studio, the Superintendent of Catholic Schools for our Diocese, Dr. Joe Brettnacher, and the Secretary of Catholic Education, Carl Lesch. Hear more about Catholic schools and especially the voucher system. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.